The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-12. through 12. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you, Adam and the musicians, for the beautiful music and for the song selection in particular. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 7. But let me just say, ask this question of you. If you robbed my house, would you know where to find my treasures? I'm speaking of the four gold bars that I have. There's a box of diamonds, filled with diamonds. Do you know where that would be? I've got a pretty big stack of cash, $100 bills, somewhere. Do you know where to look for in my house? When I was young, I always wanted one of those paintings. I would see this in, in television movies where there's a painting on the wall, but it's actually on hinges, and then you pull it open, and there's a safe right there, and that's where all your treasures are. Um, I, I never put cash under the mattress, so I'll tell you that. Don't look under my mattress. But there are people that do that, put cash under the mattress. There's still people that put a key to their house, which basically houses all of their treasures underneath the front door mat. And I know I'm speaking about half of you right now. People have gotten a little bit more clever with their valuables, though. They try to find maybe what would be the least obvious place to put gold or jewels or cash. For instance, they, they try things like putting it in a cereal box in the pantry, an empty cereal box, or maybe in a, an empty soup can, or uh, it may be in a bag in the flour jars. I know that some people have put cash in the freezers, just assuming that this is the, no, no burglar is ever going to think to look for something so valuable in something so ordinary. So you're trying to assume, or you're trying to... Uh, evade robbery by using something ordinary, unassuming, maybe even irrelevant containers or locations. The Corinthians live in a culture where you value the inside by judging the outside. The, the outside gives an indication of what's on the inside. That's, that's what they think. Apostle Paul, you're so ordinary, so unsophisticated, so unimpressive, so beaten down. But Paul replies that life-changing ministry succeeds by the Spirit of God. Life-changing ministry comes by way of ordinary Christians who are shaped not by the world's value system, but by the cross of Jesus. So the effectiveness of Christian ministry has come from the power of God, but it has come out of jars of clay. This is God's strategy for getting the glory he deserves from changed lives. So it's not an accident that he uses clay jars. It's not a defect in manufacturing. This morning I want to show you three things about being a jar of clay. One, 
what jars of clay display. Second, the benefit of a cross-shaped ministry in jars of clay. And thirdly, a perspective clay jars like us need to take, all right? First, let me show you something to indicate how the text is going to guide us as you look down at your scripture right now. There are four places in our text that use the same single Greek word. It indicates, that word is used, used to indicate for something that means something else or in order for something else to occur. So in other words, you observe A, B, and C in order to show you D, E, F. This is the reason for that. So you'll see them as like in verse 7, look down there, to show or, or so that the surpassing power. Verse 10, so that the life of Jesus. Verse 11, so that Jesus' life may be displayed. And verse 15, so that grace may extend. Jars of clay, and here are the reasons. The first is this, jars of clay display. Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, I look in the mirror and I say, that's it, Lord? That's the best you could do to show your power, glory, and love? That guy in the mirror, that body, that talent, that intelligence, it seems like a bad plan. But he's pleased to do this. Opponents of Paul's ministry in Corinth said, that's what you call an apostle? That guy has the power of the Spirit? That man is on the winning side? Clay jars. Inexpensive. Breakable. Expendable. Replaceable. They come from the ground and they return to the ground. You don't look at them for beauty, but for function. The good of a jar is in what it holds inside and whether the jar can really be relied upon to do just that. The first thing a clay jar displays is the power of God. Verse 8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Afflictions that are physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, from enemies and even sometimes from friends. But we keep going, perplexed, but not in despair. My mind gets bombarded with thoughts about why did God let this happen? What's God doing? We have questions, but we're not doubting God's love. Persecuted, but not abandoned, not a forsaken. You see, sometimes I feel isolated, alone, misunderstood, unjustly blamed. But I don't stop believing that God is with me that God has ordained this. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, I've come so close to death so as to believe I really, really was going to die. But we find God sparing us over and over. When Redeemer members Jeremy and Janet lived in the Middle East, doing God's work, somebody reported to the authorities that their business was bogus even accusing them of money laundering. This is in retaliation for uh, the father of someone who had come to faith in Christ from from Islam. Jeremy was called in for questioning and threatened. 
They, they told me that every day they lived under the threat of the government arresting them. Every single day they had that weight on them. They said that every day was stressful until about 2 p.m. when the government would shut down, at least over there at 2 p.m., and then they could just sort of breathe a little bit easier throughout the rest of the evening, and then it would start all over again. Did you know that Jeremy and Janet are preparing to return? To the same places, that same area of this world, to the same sorts of conditions, the same stress that may come again. How do they do that? It's the power of God in their lives. That's how. For Paul, he walked so close to death every day. He said in Romans 8, 36, that for Christ's sake, we are being killed all day long like sheep being regarded for slaughter. How do we not have the mental and emotional and spiritual life squeezed out of us? Maybe sometimes every day. We're clay jars just like everyone else. We get sick. We suffer loss. We suffer disappointment, injustice. It's the power of God. If we stand firm in our faith, maybe even displaying a contentment and joy, then people will want to know what is that power source? Is it a book you read? Is it a seminar you attended? Is it a weekend retreat somewhere? Uh, maybe, maybe you've got a really great psychiatrist or therapist. Is that the answer? No, it's the power of God displayed in our lives. It's the spirit at work within us. For everything God has accomplished in his kingdom, he's been pleased to use humble, ordinary, temporary jars of clay. It's God's power, not ours. The second thing that's displayed in a clay jar is the life of Jesus, Paul says. Verse 10, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. Consider this, you guys. Don't forget that Jesus has a body of clay too. He knows what it's like. Hebrews says that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. Isaiah told us that because of our sin, he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was stricken, smitten, crushed, pierced. And like all jars of clay, he went to the grave Despite all this, Jesus stayed on mission. He glorified God by fulfilling what he came for. And he did that in this brief 33 years. When you and I bear the trials of life, the trials that are ultimately, ultimately the result of sin, and we stay on mission, we make disciples, we love our enemies, and glorify God, we live the life of Jesus. It's as simple as that. But of course, the grave was not the end of the story for our Lord. Jesus wasn't afraid of death. He rose from the dead and conquered death. And we live the life of Jesus in our mortal flesh when we don't fear death. And we ought not to fear death. Because after the death of our mortal flesh, we're given resurrection life. We're raised with new bodies like Jesus. So in being a clay jar, there's something to be displayed. Remember that this week. But there's also a benefit 
Verse 15, indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. The first benefit of suffering as a clay jar is the grace of God to sinners. Now, have you ever benefited from a, a doctor or a dentist and you liked them and therefore you recommended them to somebody? You should go to this doctor. He's a good doctor. You recommend a school or a church. I sure hope you've recommended a church. Uh, have you ever recommended a restaurant or a store or this, this is a really good real estate agent? You ought to use him or her. This is a great plumber, a great electrician, home remodeler. You, you've benefited from them and you recommend them to other people. Do you know that the life that you live is a recommendation of Jesus to people? Hey, I remember you, was a, you, were, you used to be a wicked sinner. How did you become so free and happy now? The grace of God. Why are you so nice to people? Why did you forgive that person? We all remember what that person did to you. Why do you forgive them? It's the grace of God. Paul tells the Corinthians that they have actually benefited from his clay jar ministry. Rather than criticizing me, you should recognize that you benefited from the suffering that I have experienced. They've seen and experienced what God's grace does in Paul. God's grace reaches down to the lowest of sinners. But just in case you feel like you're one of those today. God's grace saves the worst of the worst. It takes weak people, poor people, ignored people, unattractive people, and shines the light of the gospel on them and saves them. And what's the benefit of that? Well, people are shaped, if they're shaped by the grace of the cross of Jesus, they go and share the grace of the cross with more and more people. That's what you do. In other words, the grace of God extends to more people through our weaknesses. Which means that the second benefit of a cross-shaped clay jar is the glory of God. Well, now that's obvious, right? If the power of the cross is displayed in weak, helpless sinners, then obviously all the glory has got to go to God. Who other than God can explain our changed behavior and our perspective? Who else is there to account for our power? Who, could, who else but God could make us fearless in the face of death but the one who gives resurrection, eternal life. The glory of God was the ultimate mission of Jesus, and he, he accomplished that through a jar of clay. Sacrifice for sinners, but now living and reigning. Perspective. This gives us a perspective, and that's what Paul deals with next. For one thing, we don't give up. Verse 16, therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. It's funny how this reversal has occurred. When I was in my 20s, my outer person was in much better condition than my inner person. I'd like to go back to the 20-year-old outer version than the one I'm in right now, but I don't want to go back to the 20 years inner person. My inner person was weak and immature. Now I look in the mirror and I see this reversal. My outer person is awful and getting worse, but my inner person feels so much different than it used to be. I care so little about the things that I used to care about in my younger days. In fact, 
to some sort of degree, I find that person in my 20s to be unrecognizable. I don't even know who that was. I'm just sort of glad I'm not that person anymore. I see, in other words, slowly that Christ is being formed in me. Rather than expecting it in this life, you'll eventually stop experiencing affliction. Instead, commit to the reality that each and every day you'll have to be renewed again by God's strength. Every day, a renewal. Don't say, like, I already know the gospel. No, instead be happy to preach the gospel to yourself again every single morning. Be grateful for God's mercies yesterday, but, but cry out again for new mercy each morning. Feeding on God's word is sufficient for today, but not for tomorrow. Praying is sufficient for today, but not for tomorrow. I think the Holy Spirit is kind of like a motion detector. He's always present. But it's like he becomes activated by your motion to go to the word of God. He's activated by your your motion to go toward prayer and to meet with God and to do that every day. I know that the Spirit wrote a new covenant on your heart, but go to him each day for kind of a fresh rereading of that covenant. In other words, don't give up on the salvation that has begun. Continue to work it out and grow in it. Look at verse 17. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable or beyond all comparison, eternal weight of glory. It's only the Apostle Paul that can dare to say affliction is momentary and light. Who of us would dare tell another member that what they're going through is only momentary and and actually it's pretty light? I'm not going to say that to you. But I have to develop this perspective, don't I, that Paul gives. You know, you have a job loss. Say you're in your 50s or something, and you've lost a job, and you've got this whole family to take care of. I'm not going to say to you, listen, don't worry. You're bound to find another job, probably even greater pay. It's just a light and momentary thing. I'm not going to say that. You have migraine headaches? I see what they do to people. It it is true that maybe the next day you're going to be fine, but I'm not going to tell you that migraine is light and short-lived thing. You know, people with kidney stones. I've never had a kidney stone yet, but apparently the pain is excruciating. And, and, and it will probably work itself out, but I'm not going to look at you and your kidney stone pain and say, like, don't worry about it. It's a light, momentary thing. Cancer. No one's going to say that. Don't worry. It's just a light and momentary affliction. It's just cancer. When you know what Paul has experienced for the cross of Christ, and you will better in chapter 11, wait for that, then you cover your mouth about any complaint you may utter about suffering. But Paul's perspective is true. What else can we call our affliction in perspective to eternity? Absolutely incomparable, beyond all comparison. It's funny, the Greek text from Paul at this point does a really typical thing in the Greek language. Instead of the adjective or adverb like very or much, it'll just take the same word and repeat it twice, right back to back, and say, well, in this case, incomparably incomparable, which I like that. The Jamaican sprinter 
Usain Bolt is, I think he may still be the fastest person in the world. He can run at almost 28 miles per hour. Now, no one compares the speed of a human sprinter to the speed of light. You just don't do that. That's not a comparison, which happens to be, by the way, 186,000 miles per second. You don't even compare a sprinter to a bullet. You just don't say, did you know bullets are faster than humans? Some bullets of some guns can go up to 1,700 miles per hour. But in any case, what you do is you say, like, now, now a horse can go, a fast horse can go 50 miles per hour, which is about twice what a human can do, and a cheetah can go sometimes for uh, up to 80 miles per hour. That's the comparison that you might make. But no one says, like, you know, uh, the speed of a sprinter to the speed of light, you just, you just don't even make that comparison. There is no comparison. So you don't say that. Arnold Schwarzenegger started lifting weights at age 15, became Mr. Universe five years later at age 20. Not Mr. Austria, not Mr. America, not even Mr. World. He became Mr. Universe. Ponder that one for just a little bit. What did he get out of all that sacrifice from the ages of 15 to 20? Well, he's obviously a multimillionaire. He's made a lot of movies. He didn't apparently take any acting lessons but he's made a lot of movies and he became the governor of California. Apparently he decided that agonizing in a gym was light and temporary thing compared to what he would become or could become. You know, having a million dollars by retirement is actually uncomplicated. In your first job, as soon as you get out of college, put away $500 a month in your IRA, assuming you can do that, and save 15% of your income but you're going to have to give up on buying anything you don't really need. You'll have to do without most non-essential things, but do that and you'll have a weighty retirement. But for most of us, obviously, doing without unnecessary things to your 65 is the light affliction that none of us are willing to pay. So we'll get by at 65 and that's fine. We're not going to be millionaires because we have all this other stuff that we thought was important. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's it's this unbelievable verse. So we just just go ahead and disobey the verse anyway and say, I'm going to imagine what that's like. And no matter what you come up with, it's impossible for you to grasp what God has in store for us. As we cannot really conceive of what God is giving us in the new heaven and earth with new bodies, so we cannot conceive of how living the life of Christ in suffering and death yields in us a full transformation into the image of Christ and an explosion of glory to God that lasts into eternity. The glory of something, of anything, is what that thing really is in essence what its true identity is. The glory of a thing is seen only when all the blinders and covers and clouds and veils vanish. So we don't actually have a standard of comparison between what God is going to do with affliction and the actual affliction itself. We trust God at his word that he's doing this. We should be encouraged within ourselves that our, in ourselves and our fellow believers 
when we see growth in faith and love for Christ, which is pretty much the joy of my life in my position. It's basically, that's basically it. You got maybe it's like ice cream, you got NC State beating UNC, and you have growth in Christ and people. That's my joy. Because of afflictions, we begin to taste the weight of glory increasing in us. Lastly, about our perspective, we don't lose focus. Verse 18, so we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. We look to Jesus, as Hebrews says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. We focus on Jesus, Son of God, God in human flesh, God in clay jar, who went to the cross and bore our sins. Only a jar of clay can be slapped and spit upon and scourged and nailed and pierced. With what kind of a body is Jesus seated and and interceding for us. Not a jar of, of clay, but a new kind of body, which is a body like we will have. I can't see a stress-free life now. I don't. I, I can't see a pain-free life now. I can't imagine never, ever getting tired. You all do not know and will not know till you see Jesus what total Total stress-free living is. You don't know what it's like to not be tired. Imagine what's, what's coming our way. I've had moments in my childhood where I wanted the moment to never end. You'll recall playing in the neighborhood with neighborhood friends as a kid. You'd lost all sense of time. That's the most timeless time you've ever experienced. And then it was ruined by your mother who called you to supper and ended that time. And you wanted that time to last forever. With the Lord one day, I will have only the perfect present, not past or future, a never ending eternal moment with the Lord. And I'm going to be presented with you according to verse 14. Every investment I have ever made in people's lives will be with me for eternity too. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The crusade was to find the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. And a very, very nasty Nazi was on the run to try to find that. His idea was that if he could give the cup of Christ to the armies of the Third Reich of Germany, then he would have an immortal, eternal army that would be easily able to take over the world. Well, Indiana Jones, of course, is an archaeologist. He wants to find that, but he's also motivated to keep that out of the hands of the Nazis. And the third motivation is he's in this trek with his father. His father gets shot and is also dying. As the chase comes to its end, the the nasty Nazi finds the cave where, where the cup of Christ is located, following all these clues. And Indiana Jones kind of follows right behind. And unbelievably, there's dozens and dozens of cups of all kinds of things. And the Nazi doesn't know which one of them is the cup of Christ. And so he just sort of scans all of them and finds that one and says, ah, the cup of Christ, it's gold and encrusted with jewels. And he says, yes, the cup of 
the king of kings, scoops some of the water in that cave and drinks some in typical Steven Spielberg fashion. He just melts and dissolves away. There's a knight that's been there for centuries guarding it, and he says, he chose poorly. Indiana Jones now is desperate to find the real cup, and he looks around, and he finds this just ordinary, just an ordinary plain cup, and he says, the cup of a carpenter. And he drinks some, and he doesn't dissolve. He gives some to his father, and his father lives. Biblical? Not quite. But it captures a common theme of God to use ordinary, unimpressive people to accomplish his means to bring about glory. A jar of clay filled with the treasure of Christ is content to be ignored and looked over. It knows it's destined to break, to fall apart, to go back to the clay it came from. But it knows for a little while that it holds something supremely good. Maybe it's flour for necessary bread. Maybe it's salt to make food tastier. Maybe it's sugar to make food sweeter. Maybe it contains cookies or candy to bring joy and delight. Maybe it contains water necessary for life. Maybe it contains really, really great wine to celebrate joy and reunion. Isn't Jesus necessary for life? Isn't Jesus our bread of life and the water of life? Doesn't Jesus make life taste better? Isn't our Savior the source of all of our joy, the reason that we celebrate? The clay jar knows it's temporary, transient, just a mere vapor in time, but its importance is not in itself, but in what it contains. Paul told the church in Galatia, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Paul told the Colossian church that God has made known a mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So church, don't despair. That ordinary, breakable, expendable, even even sin-prone Jar of clay, me, is God's wonderful plan to display God's power in the life of Christ. The treasure is nothing less than the glory of the gospel of Christ. What a treasure. Faithful living in a jar of clay, even for a short time, yields eternal benefits as people see Jesus through us. So don't give up. The weight of being glorified like Christ is almost there. Compared to eternity, everyone is almost home. A new heaven and earth is just around the corner. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Pray with me. Father, we are confronted by the truth of your word, which is precious and hard at the same time, and so we are asking for grace, more grace today to accept the truth of being a clay jar with all of those limitations, but that you ordain that for us so that we hold this treasure, which is Christ. Keep us from discouragement as we face, again, struggles and afflictions and pain and tiredness. 
Help us to endure. Help us with our perspective. But make us together a church that displays the great glory of God, even in suffering. So we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.